We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Content warning. After the break, our guest shares a personal experience with sexual abuse and rape. It's not descriptive, but it's a significant lesson earned in Michael's life. This is a sadly common experience for many and may be difficult to hear. Please take care of yourself and reach out for help whenever needed. Our special guest today is Michael Hudson, currently the professor at Aspire Leadership, which supports emerging leaders, equipping them to build influence and create impact by putting people first. We met at Heroic Public Speaking. What I admire most about you, Michael, is your generosity, humility, and your genuine interest in encouraging others to share their stories. Welcome to ROG. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here. It's great to have you here. I'm curious to hear a little bit of your background, Michael. Well, you know, leadership caught me at an early early age, Shannon. I mean, so I've been intrigued by this concept since I was eight or 10 years old. And a lot of that came from my involvement with 4-H, and we don't need to go a long way in that, but that's a program that really gives kids a chance to lead as they're learning. And so suddenly I experienced this thing of what it was like to be in that role. Then I became addicted. You know, so when I'm in college, you know, I'm in seven or eight different associations, you know, and so forth. And I can't be in one if I don't get into a leadership role because I believe in changing things and making things better. And you know, it's just kind of how I'm wired. You know, that led me into being a professor for 10 years and uh, having the privilege of building a nationally recognized program at Cornell University and a nationally recognized program at the University of Illinois. And then I woke up one day, Shannon, and realized bureaucracy is not where I should be living. And I just saw this disconnect. And then I had this privilege of meeting someone that uh, didn't see the world that way and helped them define a culture for a company that went from a very small company to a industry-leading top 20 company and then was ultimately sold. And in fact, that's how Aspire Leadership was born, is there was a thing, what they had done is focused on building and equipping mid-level leaders and equipping them with a mindset and tools to put people first. And they'd made that very clear as the mission of their organization. And he came to me and said, look, I want to capture what we did so we can help all the people that have been asking me over the years of, how do you do this? So that's how I got to where we are now. And, you know, when you get to naming things, you have to figure out what it is. So we'll talk a lot more about how we figured that out and what that is. But uh, I think your audience hopefully will find it valuable. That's, that's incredible. Thank you for that background. So, Michael, have you always loved speaking to people? Has, has that been like a, <laughs> a natural born talent? <laughs> no. <laughs> this will sound horrible. I'm going to say this, Shadow but... What I tended to love was speaking to myself under my breath about the things that I didn't like that were going on or the things that were frustrating me. <laughs> Nobody can relate to that, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, when I was in college and I had to take the obligatory public speaking class, the first speech, the instructor called my name. I got up, mm-hmm. ran out, went in the hallway, ran down to the men's room and puked <laughs> and then left the building. That's how scared I was of speaking in public. Somewhere I got over that. And that happened because I decided to go to, go to graduate school. And all of a sudden, one day, you know, the moment came. You, you're being paid to be a teaching assistant in this PhD program. You're going to now go teach. So I'm going to a class to teach 250 freshmen about supply and demand. You know they're excited. <laughs> Riveted. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> so I leave my office and I head to the place and I literally stopped at three buildings on the way to that classroom and threw up. And when I came out of the bathroom in the actual auditorium where I was speaking and saw the doors, I stood there knees shaking going, how am I going to do this? And I have no idea where it came from, Shannon. But all of a sudden, I heard this voice in my head saying, tell him a story, teach him a lesson. Well, just as I hit the stage and took the second step up to get onto the stage, I remembered when I almost flunked out of graduate school because I reversed the supply and demand curves on a major exam. So I told that story and then made the promise, I'm going to teach you a way to remember it so that will never happen to you. And then I just sort of felt, oh, this is cool. I like being here. So that was yet another addiction that I <laughs> rapidly acquired. Mm. Oh, thank you for that background, because I think that does say a lot. What are you trying to communicate? What is, what is your big idea? And how can I help you express that? So how does that transfer into other areas of your life, Michael? Like your generosity and your, your interest in understanding, like what is, what is the thing you're trying to accomplish and how can I help? Well, it's, it's, it's what unlocked that. The, I mean, we have three fundamental beliefs in Aspire, right? It's about curiosity, humility, and empathy. You've got to be generous with your time at breaks. So you have that informal conversation that may be what they need in order to feel comfortable speaking up. you got to be generous in the way you listen and fight that thing inside, the advice monster that wants to jump back and say, well, here's why that won't work. That's pretty much what makes, most, makes the most sense for a leader to go into every situation that way. So now I've had the privilege of sort of building a program that kind of does that. I love that. You're giving us some key words here, curiosity, humility, empathy. So with the curiosity, the way that you built on that is to ask open-ended questions, ask exploratory curiosity questions like wonder. Like I really wonder what else is going on or what else do they mean, right? You're helping them unpack that. Yeah, it's a matter of, you know, we would argue, and I would argue personally, <laughs> you got to step back and admit, I don't know everything. I don't even know what may matter in this situation. Can I give you an answer and can I get you to, next, to take a next step? Absolutely. Is that the right thing to do? Maybe, maybe not. You know, I love Michael Bungay-Stanier's you know, book that talks about the advice monster, you know, and we jump in and give the advice. But what if you just ask? And here's the thing. It's interesting. I dealt with this in a class with our students yesterday, some of our students yesterday. People overcomplicate asking a question. The most powerful question is simply either what's on your mind, what do you think, or what's going on? And when the person stops talking, and they will at some point, that's where the generosity with your time comes in to let them get to where they stop. You simply say, and again, this is a Michael Bungay Stanier thing from his Coaching Habit book. You ask the all question, A-W-E, and what else? Why does that matter? What do most people say is the reason they leave the organization they work in? The manager, the direct manager, the, you know, the Gallup book that came out a year or so ago documents that with literally tens of thousands of interviews. Why did they leave the manager? I don't feel valued. I don't feel heard. I don't feel understood. I don't know why we're doing what we're doing. All of those things require a leader to simply be more consistent and continuous in communicating. You know, we have this bad problem, right? We tell them one time and we think they all got it. Half of them were worrying about what they were having for dinner when you told them that. You know, a third of them were worrying about was the bank going to call about the payment that's late. Others were wondering about, you know, what's going on in the sports world today. And, and so, you know, I love Patrick Lencioni in his book, The Motive, points out that as a leader, you are the chief reminding officer. I love that, right? You're the chief reminding officer. 
you know, and, and, and you got to keep doing that. That's why you've been in organizations like I have, Shannon. The flavor of the month, where does it come from? It comes from the fact the leader allows themselves to get bored, changes the message because they're bored and doesn't realize nobody understood what it was the first time and now they don't care what it is the next time because it changed. Mm-hmm. So I'm hearing you say to give people space, let them express themselves, to run around the building, as you say, to get to the point of what they're trying to communicate and to patiently listen. For those who would not describe themselves as utterly patient and find that whole process exhausting and sometimes even getting lost on the journey that somebody's taking us on, what coaching can you offer us to stay in the moment and to stay curious? Such a great question and such a challenge, right? And, you know, there's no one right answer for everybody, right? You know, some people master that by taking notes while the conversation is going on because that engages them in a different way. Because some people are just uncomfortable making the eye contact while they're having that listening moment. How powerful would it be if I said, Shannon, you mind if I take some notes? Because it sounds like this is an interesting scenario we need to consider. This is something we need to work on. I'd like to capture things. Is that okay with you? Now, think about that. What you just did is you gave the control to them, but you gave yourself a way to stay engaged. Second thing, and, and this is something I learned, you know, in facilitating. You know, when you ask a question, sometimes people will immediately answer. Sometimes they will wait a long time. You have to figure out how long to wait, <laughs> right? Um, so I learned over time from 40 years of doing facilitations that if I count to 15 in my head and no one has said anything, no one is going to say anything. So then I started using prompts about eight to 10 seconds in, like, take your time. I really want to understand what's going on here. Again, empathetic statement. Outreach and giving you permission, being generous enough to say, I'm going to listen. I know you're trying to figure out what you want me to hear. Take your time. Then there's always the infamous, you know, can you say more? Because sometimes they're pausing because they think what they just said should have made sense to everybody. And you didn't have enough information to really, with the backstory, to know what they actually were trying to communicate. So can you say more about that? And then there's always, you know, the one we've all heard, help me understand that better. And then there's the other thing, right? You hear the first thing they say and they seem to hesitate, say, so it sounds like you've got a concern about the XYZ process. Now you've framed it, so now you know what you're listening for. So part of that is, the, is you know, developing the capacity to recognize cues in the conversation of where the conversation is mm. going. Thank you for those tips and advice, because I think that what I'm hearing you say is inviting people to have a moment with you, to explore with you. So when you want to know... I don't think that the recipient is probably ready for that. So how you can meet them there. And then I think that it's a free, I mean, with the exception of the time, it's an investment of time. But other than that, it's a free offering that actually has the most value. So what led you to humility as one of your top three characteristics? Being frustrated by people who claim all the credit when they did none of the work. And, and I, that's not discounted. I mean, you, you did the work if you designed the strategy and you defined where we were going. You know, if you're not the person who was out there that, you know, caught the winning pass, you know, don't take credit for being the person who caught the winning pass. You know, again, I'm going to go back, call back to Lencioni's book because I think it's a fantastic read, first of all. But, but just the distinction between reward-centered leaders versus responsibility-centered leaders. Responsibility-centered leaders understand they're responsible to the people they're leading. That means when they succeed, who succeeds? They do. 
Who gets the credit? They do. Because if I'm doing my job as a leader, my opinion, and kind of a spire's opinion, my, my main job is to create the leaders who will carry this organization further than I am capable of, even while I'm here, if I'm the best leader. But when I'm gone, if I'm an okay leader or a pretty good leader. The other kind of leader in, in Lancioni's book is the reward-centered leader. The reward center sees leadership as I've put in my time, I've worked myself fingers to the bone, and now I get the opportunity to do the things I want to do. You know, one of the reasons I'm such a big fan of the Lencioni book is because he points out the most important phrase to me is, you can't get away from doing the mundane. The mundane is what drives the success of the organization. Yes, you had that conversation 12 times today, and you engaged 12 people deeper in the organization. You built stronger relationships, you increased trust, you know, and that's, you know, humility fundamentally, Shannon, drives trust. If you're humble and I know you care more about me than you seem to care about yourself, I trust you a lot more. We've all been in that conversation where you hear somebody say five things and you go, oh, I don't trust that person. Right. In particular, talking about someone else in a negative way, right? I don't think that looks good on any of us. So the third thing that you focus on, so you've got curiosity, humility, and empathy. Talk to me about the value of empathy in leadership. You know, and, and when we talk about empathy, the first thing probably that comes to our minds is it's allowing yourself to be vulnerable enough for people to know you're just like them. Admitting mistakes, taking responsibility for the mistakes you've made, sharing the stories about what you learned. You know, my, one of my favorite phrases is the lessons you have earned from your journey. Every time we have a misstep, we learn something, but it, we also earn it because we go through the experience. That's a different lesson, right, than learning it from a book or learning it from a case study or learning it from a magazine article or from a speaker. You know, but when you step up and are comfortable sharing those lessons you've earned, and how it was for you to go through them, you create a deeper connection. When we come back, Michael will share a very significant and challenging lesson earned. Please know that he is going to share about abuse he experienced as a child. We are grateful for his courage and willingness to share this traumatic event and the lessons earned. Introducing the brand new QuadPod Podcast Network. At QuadPod, we have a variety of podcasts that are as unique as you. When you visit quadpod.com, you'll see our shows listed by category as well as average episode length. Find a new podcast at qodpod.com, the QuadPod Podcast Network. That's qodpod.com. And we're back with Michael Hudson, the professor at Aspire Leadership. What's an example of a lesson you've earned, Michael? <laughs> it, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go to the deep one. You're, you're aware of this story, I know. Um, I had some horrible experiences as a child. I was raped and molested for a year when I was 10. That's part of why I was silent. That's part of why I was petrified to speak in public. And it took me a long, long time to work through all of what, what all of that meant and so forth. But the lesson that I ultimately earned from looking at it was, you know, the, the main lesson, of course, was your value is not defined by what happened to you. It's defined by who you are at this moment. And I think a lot of times people in organizations get hung up on the mistake they made three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, last month. You know, I'm going to sound a little bit like a stoic now, but, you know, the whole stoicism concept is, you know, pretty much like the serenity prayer. What can I control and what can't I control? You can't control what happened in the past. You can only control the way you react to it. 
And, you know, part of that, you know, the other lesson I earned was to acknowledge what's happening and what's really going on. I forget where we met in the journey, right? But when I started my journey in working on this to really sort through this, which to be candid was only five years ago, I weighed 80 pounds more than I do today. Now, what was going on that I didn't realize is I was medicating myself with sugar. And, you know, I'm not trying to take us to a weight loss path. That's not the issue here. The point is the lesson I earned was realizing, okay, you have been medicating yourself to avoid figuring out what this meant, what lessons you earned from going through it. If you acknowledge those lessons, guess what? You realize you're not who you think you are because you're hidden behind, in my case, this 80-pound fat suit I was wearing. So the earned lesson point is one of these things that I think goes to how I believe we all need to be constantly and continuously improving, constantly assessing, evaluating, constantly asking ourselves, what did that mean? And by the way, what did that mean is a much different question than why did that happen? What did it mean? You know, I love the question, what does this make possible when something goes wrong? When something you were hoping would go down the A path goes down the B path. What if you just pause and said, what does this make possible? That is earning the lesson of, Things change. I think it's important for us to really be who we are and be that well, right? Own that. That's a St. Francis of Sales quote. Be who you are and be that well. So what did that enable for you, Michael? What have, what have you allowed that to mean? And, you know, what, what have you created from that life experience? Well, you know, the first thing, Shannon, that I have to call out is it enabled me to have opportunities to help others decide to do the same thing. The fascinating thing to me is how often those people just show up in my world. And as we get into conversation at some point, I learned they had a similar experience or I learn about what it is that's in them. And so part of it, it taught me to listen better and to, to think more, okay, yes, that was a difficult challenge. What lesson did they earn from that challenge? How can I help them see how they can put it to work? And I think there's a powerful lesson in there, right, from an empathy perspective, by the way. Sometimes we think empathizing is sharing my similar story in five-part harmony. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) That is not what I want when I want to be heard. You know, I don't need all of that. I need, I I know what that feels like. Tell Mm -hmm. me more. When you share something like what I did, and thank you for the privilege of sharing with your audience, you know, there's a vulnerability there. You, You don't hear a lot of men using certain words. They're accurate words when I use them, but they're words you don't hear other people doing. You know, you don't hear many people who would identify that. I don't do it for any reason other than I know because of what the universe has delivered to me since I figured out the lessons I earned, there is someone, probably many people listening today, that have had some kind of a trauma in their life that is impacting them every single day in exactly what you and I are talking about. They can't be generous because they've been hurt. They can't be curious because curiosity somehow hit them in a wrong way at some point. You know, they can't feel empathy or they can't get enough empathy from other people. You know, all of that exists. The whole idea of trauma-informed leadership is something we have to wake up to. And after the last two years, you know, at the the risk of using that dangerous phrase, trust me, it's not going to be easier in the future. Yes. Thank you for that. This this is really encouraging and, and specific guidance for us to internalize and think, you know, how can we model these things? How can we practice and how can we practice being more vulnerable and open and sharing our earned life lessons with others so that they can benefit from the wisdom that we've gained through life experiences, be them traumatic or, you know, joyful. So what would you say are some of the benefits and returns on generosity? 
Well, the number one that I've seen most often is just the level of engagement, buy-in, and ownership. And I know those are three separate things, but they all kind of go together, right? You get to be a part of something. So one of the major benefits is we solve that problem so many people talk about is I don't feel like I am part of this. Well, I feel like I'm part of it when I get the right to ask questions. I get asked questions and get the right to share what I think. I know I am heard, I am understood, I am respected, I am cared about. I know that if I put in the long hours and the work and that's the way I see things, I'm going to be the one gets recognized in the end and I'm not going to just be sitting there going, oh, well, how come she's getting all the credit for the work that I did? I mean, that's one big benefit. The second big benefit is your life gets a lot easier because you no longer as the leader have the responsibility of figuring everything out. You are now saying, I am leading these people by doing what? I'm developing them, I'm building their skills, I'm equipping them to lead in ways that I wasn't even able to lead because I'm teaching them this process. I'm showing them humility, I'm being empathetic, and I'm being curious. They're going to go do the same thing. I don't have to work as hard, I just have to ask some questions and listen. Bigger picture company-wise, you get growth. Your best people stay instead of leave because the people who are going to walk away first when you don't do this are not the people that can do this. And therefore, you're putting a lid on the growth of your business. I think that's a pretty good reason to make a change. Absolutely, yeah. It makes so much logical sense. That's why I think listeners engage in this dialogue to challenge themselves to think, okay, I get it. What are some of the practical things that I can do to model this and create this business and get all of these dividends? So all of our guests share a favorite motto or life mantra, quote, what is one of your favorite quotes, Michael? Um, it's a long one, as I think I shared <laughs> when, you, when you let me know this question was coming. But it's an Abraham Lincoln quote. And it was a quote from the time in his life when he was a shopkeeper. And let me just read the quote so I get it accurately. I do the very best I know how, the very best I can, and I mean to keep doing so until the end. If the end brings me out all right, what is said about me won't amount to anything. If the end brings me out wrong, 10 angels swearing I was right would make no difference. I don't know where that first crossed my path, but it has always been the thing in the back of my mind when you come to one of those moments where you go, okay, should I do this or shouldn't I do this? If I'm wrong, what are the costs? Well, you know, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. How do I mind the lessons that I earned from being wrong that time is a much better mindset than worrying mm. about how I'm going to get in trouble or who's right. going to be mad at me. Yes. And how do you gauge that, Michael, personally? How do you gauge that right and wrong? Am I doing the best I can? You know, it's interesting. I've had a long journey in trying to master doing that better. And some of that, you know, we've all had our experiences in the past of how we grew up, right? My father was the traditional person, you know, depression-raised kid, that how many hours you put in was what mattered. What I have finally, finally <laughs> learned to do through the years is to let things breathe. You know, I do a lot of creative work as you do. I had the conversation this morning. I never know how this analogy plays because as a man, it seems like a weird analogy, right? But to me, creativity has a gestation period over which we have no control. There will be a moment when the crystal clarity will arrive. And just like a child, it'll be when that idea wants to arrive or that child wants to arrive, not when we want it to. And for me, that was the big issue and the big lesson, I guess, in terms of what we're talking about here, right? I learned that let it breathe. Let it have the time and space. You know, recognize that you don't know the answers and that's okay. 
recognize you don't know how you're going to do this, but you'll figure it out, but let it breathe. Let it breathe, meet it with curiosity, express that humility of I'm learning on the journey. So thank you for the person you are, Michael, for the coach, the mentor, the teacher, the professor, and for the things that you have given birth to that really make the world a better place. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you. And if I could leave one thing for your audience, I'm just going to encourage you to do this. Be curious enough to ask, be humble enough to learn, and be empathetic enough to listen. And your life will change dramatically in the way you lead yourself and the way you lead others. Our OG takeaway tip, how to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. Michael shared so many things to help us grow. Let's explore his parting comments. Number one, be curious enough to ask. Two, be humble enough to learn. And three, be empathetic enough to listen. Number one, being curious enough to ask. Here's how I frame curiosity. Visualize a one-lane road, and on that road is a car. And in that car, in the driver's seat, is you. You're driving down the road and you come to an intersection. You can go right or left. The road to the left, often the direction most of us take, is the road of rumination. On this road, we ask ourselves questions that tend to start with, why? Why did this happen? Why did I say that? Why didn't I say something? Why wasn't I prepared for that? Why do I always have to fill in the blank? Why can't I ever fill in the blank? Why am I always fill in the blank? How do you feel? Words that we can associate with the road of rumination are sad, dark, depleted, lonely, stuck, anxious, stressed, hopeless, regretful, ashamed. That doesn't feel very good, does it? And you know that you're on that road by how you feel. What's important to remember is we can turn around and take a right at that intersection. The road to the right is the road of resolution. This road tends to be paved with questions that begin with what or how. What is possible? How can I look at this differently? What am I grateful for? How can this be a catalyst for growth? What changes when I scale out and see more of the context? How can I be generous to myself and others right now? And words associated with this road are hopeful, grateful, empowered, energized, connected, resourceful. It's that simple. I didn't say it'd be easy, but it's simple. Asking a higher quality question will get you a higher quality answer. These roadways are shared in every keynote, in my coaching and team development, because it encourages people to ask higher quality questions to themselves and others, to have wonder, curiosity, and the consideration of what does this make possible. Number two, humble enough to learn. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. All of us have an ego. Our ego makes things center around us. Thinking things happen to us, about us, against us, to upset us, when really, things often just happen. How do our egos get in the way of learning? When we think we're right. When we think that our interpretation, impression, and perspectives are the right 
best, and sometimes only truth. What does that give us? It gives us satisfaction of being right. But what does it cost us? The opportunity to learn, grow, and connect. So don't trade in the relationship that you have with yourself and others for the benefit of your ego. Be open to rethinking your assumptions and be humble enough to learn. Third and finally, be empathetic enough to listen. Really listen. Listening is a generous act. Empathy is the ability to personally connect with something someone shared with us. We may not have had that exact same experience, but empathy comes from knowing or imagining the feeling and the truth shared with us by another. So avoid listening long enough to think of a similar situation in your life and then start sharing about your experiences. Instead, wonder, what are they experiencing? What are the words they're using? What are the emotions that they're expressing? And how can empathy be a vehicle for connection through listening? These three are cyclical. So if we take it from the top, be curious enough to ask what, how questions to better understand and explore. Humble yourself and don't make it about you. Be present with them, learn more about their perspectives, experiences, and beliefs. And then finally, listen with empathy. Next week, we kick off our Women's History Month series with Karen Bennett, Chief Human Resources Officer at Cox Communications. Until then, be curious, humble, empathetic, and generous, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.